The following episode contains graphic descriptions of violent acts. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my usual co-host, Darcy, with me tonight recording. How are you doing, Darcy? Oh, man. Classes have started and I've been in class for about three weeks and I honestly can't remember the last time I wasn't tired. So that's about how I'm doing right now. (laughs) Uh, So tell the listeners how much more of this program you have left before you graduating and getting your doctorate finally. I am in my last semester of classwork. So I will take comprehensive finals in January and that's like the last test I will ever have to take, hopefully knock on wood. Woo-hoo. And then from that point, it's just kind of like a self-paced, however long it takes you to write your dissertation. And I'm hoping to have everything completed and graduate by December of 2020. Wow. Pretty impressive. Yeah. So there will most likely, just for the listeners out there, be a period of time where we have some pre-recorded episodes that we're going to have to throw out there because Darcy is going to be studying her (laughs) balls off. Balls to the wall studying. I'm going to be (laughs) ass deep in studying gross anatomy. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's not fun. But whatever you got to do to get that doctorate is Mm -hmm. cool. cool. I want to give a shout out, first of all, to Hunt a Killer. Yeah. Awesome stuff they did for us. Darcy, you want to kind of cover off on that a little bit? Yeah. So one of my buddies was at like a wine tasting thing and he texted me that he met somebody who works with Hunter Killer and that they are, they team up with like a cold case group who gets together and, and, you know, works on very um, old cold cases. And so he asked for the name of our podcast. And so I told him. And then he told me, you know, that this person works with cold cases and hunt a killer. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Can you please, like, tell her about us and, like, hook me up with her contact info and everything? And so he did. And after talking with her for just a couple days, she listened to one of our episodes, the Lauren Burke episode. And she put it on her Instagram. So we're super, super thankful for that connection. And hopefully I'd like for it to be something where we could kind of work with them to talk about some of the cold cases. That would be amazing. And what was her first name? Just so we can say thank you to her. Maddie. Maddie. So thank you, Maddie. This relationship is something we are definitely looking forward to. We really, really, really appreciate the effort that you've put into to throw us into your Instagram feed. Definitely. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to cover off on before we jump in? I don't think so. I'm just going to take a big old sip of my wine. What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking some Zinfandel. Just red wine, classic Zinfandel. Mm. It's a pretty good bottle. It's Coppola, which is like um, cheap medium wine. Because <laughs> I'm a student, I make bullshit. But uh, it's, right. it's a delicious wine. So, so Darcy usually drinks the the bourbon and the mm-hmm. the harder liquors or beer. So yeah. it's unusual to see her sipping on the wine. Yeah, I prefer. I don't like things that are sweet, so I like a, a dry red wine or a dry whiskey or a good old beer. That's my jam. Nice. Yep. And speaking of cheap wines, I am drinking <laughs> a $4 bottle of Andre Champagne. Hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to the cheap champ. <laughs> Again, quantity, not quality. 
Right? And the thing is, like, you know, we're not making any money off the podcast at this point, so we can't afford to be lavish just yet. Um, hopefully someday. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> soon you'll be hearing us drink from our fanciest bottles of wine and champagne. Right. Well, I don't know that I'll ever spend <laughs> a bunch of money on fancy wine. That's like, true. I have so many other, like, student loans to pay off Dude. from law school. And, uh... <laughs> Dude, no lie. I still owe taxes from 2015 that I still haven't paid off. Do you really? Yeah. California came for me because I was working with, like, an out-of-state, you know, school when I was out there. And so uh-huh. they were like, you didn't pay California taxes. And I, like, was like, well, when I first got out there, I went to H&R Block, and she told me I didn't have to, that I had I could pay where I was technically still a resident, which was Alabama at the time. And so it was, like, a whole back-and-forth thing because of the time difference, and you can't get ever any, get anybody actually on the phone. You oh know, my God, so insane. it took like a year to work out. But for a minute, I was like, I don't have like $5,000 to pay you right now. I don't. Right. And then I went back and looked and I was like, fuck you. I paid my taxes. <laughs> well, the thing was, at the time, I was an ed- independent contractor, mm-hmm. a legal consultant, and I made quite a bit of money that year and clearly did not pay enough taxes. Uh, that, that sucks. <laughs> They'll always come set- for you. They sent me a fat letter, like, yeah. but the thing is, I didn't get the letter until this year. That's what happened to me. Because I, I've moved, like, four or five times mm-hmm. since I filed the taxes in 2015, and so I just got the letter now saying, oh, by the way, <laughs> you yeah, owe us Yeah, by the way, you grand. owe us a lot of money. Yeah. Start paying. <laughs> and yep. I was just like, oh, fuck. I don't have five grand laying around, do you? Do, right? Nope. Speaking of five grand laying around. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, this leads us very nicely into our first topic for the day. I don't know if you folks have heard about this, but there was this couple that got an accidental deposit of $100,000, and now they are facing theft charges because they spent the money. Did you hear about this? I did hear about this, and I'm a, I am mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it does seem like it was... They shouldn't have spent all of the money, but at the same time, that wasn't their error you know what I mean like that was the bank error but at the same so, time how do you spend a hundred thousand dollars in such a short period of time that's insane let me give you a little details on this the couple is in Pennsylvania and they are now facing theft charges in a hundred thousand dollars worth of overdraft fees after using the money that was accidentally deposited into their bank account they got themselves into hot water after spending the money that was not theirs by the way I pulled this article from CNN it was posted this last week there's no author listed on this but investigators say that robert and tiffany williams had a hundred and twenty thousand dollars deposited into their account could you imagine waking up and checking your bank that day and being like what i don't even know (laughs) into their account at b b and t on may 31st through a mistake by a teller so instead of contacting the bank saying, hey, something's wrong, they just went ahead and spent the money in two and a half weeks between June God. 3rd and 19th. Two and a half bought, weeks. Here's what they bought. An SUV, two four-wheelers, a camper, and a car trailer. Jesus. They also used the money to pay bills, car repairs, cash purchases, and even gave $15,000 to friends that needed money. So once the bank did realize the mistake, they transferred the money to correct the account and told the couple, hey, what the fuck is going on? You need to pay these $107,000 in overdraft fees because you spent this money that wasn't yours. And the bank kept calling them. And a husband and wife evidently told them, hey, we need to work out a payment plan. But 
after a couple of initial phone calls, they just basically said deuces and <laughs> didn't talk mm. to the bank anymore. And that's when the theft charges were filed. So they were not interested I gotcha. in working out a deal to pay that off. They were just like, fuck it. What, what's going to happen? Wow. So I can say that I had a personal experience similar to this, but not with that kind of money. Back when I was in college, my mom used to deposit money for me because I was a broke-ass college student all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of a broke-ass college student, but just not college. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my bank account was always empty, and my mom would periodically deposit money for me. And I thought my mom had made a deposit. It was about $1,000. And I was like, cool, mom made a deposit. Now I can spend the money. It was in there, and I was like, I didn't. Yeah. Didn't check, didn't look at where it came from or anything like that. Because at the time when you got, when you went to use your card in an ATM machine, it didn't say, you know, where the money had come from. It just would give you a listing of your balance and and Mm -hmm. how much you were taking out on the deposit. And so I was like, cool. I went to take out 20 bucks and looked at my balance and it was like $1,210. And I was like, okay, sweet. I'm going to spend this. Right. And, And I had the same sort of thing happen. I did not spend all the money I spent. A couple hundred dollars, which drained my bank account to the thousand dollars. And then they found mm-hmm. out and took the money out. But um, I can see where something like that might happen with smaller amounts. I just don't see how a hundred thousand dollars is by any stretch of the ima- imagination, something that could be anything other than a mistake. Like, what were they thinking? Yeah, I mean, especially with mobile banking and you can check your balance and it tells you what was deposited, when it was deposited, who it came from. You know what I mean? Like it'll tell you if it's a personal check or blah, 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 what a direct deposit. It'll tell you all of that. And so if you see a deposit for $120,000, that is not something that you typically get deposited. That should probably be like, Hey, um, what's going on with this? Your little bitches knew that wasn't your money. Right. They knew it wasn't their money, but maybe they just thought, it's, it's kind of like when you're in school and a teacher, like, makes an error, doesn't count off a wrong answer when they should have. And they're like, well, that was my mistake. So I'll, you get to keep the points. But it's $120,000 instead of, like, yeah. two points. <laughs> it's not like Publishers so, Clearinghouse just accidentally, yeah. the, purposefully, excuse me, threw money into your account because you won some kind of a sweepstakes. No, bitches. Right. You needed to call the bank and find out what happened instead of spending that money all willy-nilly on crazy shit. Right. And this actually is, it's funny that you said that that happened to you because this also happened to my dad. I don't remember the amount. It was, I want to say over $10,000, I think, but he, and it was a direct deposit issue from his job. So he teaches college um, psychology. And so it was a direct deposit from the school, but it was significantly more than like the monthly you know, salary that he was getting paid or whatever. And so he sent it to me and was like, this must be a mistake. This school sent this, like they put this money in my account. And I was like, shit, spend it. And then oh. he obviously being, <laughs> he had some morals. <laughs> wiser. And, uh, I like to think I have a pretty, pretty far pointing moral compass and I actually wouldn't have spent it. But in that, you know, whim, I was like, spend it, go buy yourself something nice. But he immediately like called the university and, and they corrected it. But it actually happened again, like two months later. Oh my God. The same thing happened. So I was like, look, the second time they're just trying to give you this money. Yeah. <laughs> but again, and I get he called that... them and they took it back. <laughs> I get that this couple like had some altruistic motives. Like they gave some money to a couple who really needed it. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, the money's not yours. That is theft, period. Mm-hmm. Any way you look at and- it. The other thing is they could have taken the stuff back. They could have taken the camper and the trailer and the, the ATVs back and yeah. 
gotten at least some of it back to yeah. pay back and then worked out a payment plan for the money that they couldn't get back. But they were just you know? like deuces bitches later. Yeah. So yeah. that's just rude and wrong. It is. It's not right. You shouldn't take things that aren't yours. So another um, issue that I saw in the news this last week that I thought was really interesting was an article by the Associated Press that came out this last week that said Google Earth leads to the remains of a missing Florida man in a lake. I saw this headline and there was like a little thumbnail picture with the article, you know? Yeah. And when I first like clicked on it, I was like, oh my God, what is this about to show me in this lake? Yeah. I did, before did, I read the what article. Did, what did it show you? It sh- It was the picture of the car in the lake. But before it actually, you actually read the article and it showed that it was a car. Right. I was like, because the article, the headline just said like it leads to the recovery of remains. And I was like, oh my God, are, is this article actually showing remains in a lake from Go- like a Google Earth image? That's what I was like. That would be horrifying. And I was like, I can't believe, I can't believe they would do that. But no. they didn't. They, I don't think they would be again, that morbid smarter and wiser so evidently it took them 22 years but this guy's remains were finally found thanks to someone who zoomed in on his former florida neighborhood with google satellite images and at that point they noticed the car submerged in a lake the skeletal remains were of william molt who went missing in 1997 at the age of 40 Wow. A police spokesperson said that the previous residents of the Grand Isles neighborhood in Wellington, Florida, was checking the neighborhood on Google Earth when he zoomed into the lake and saw what looked like a car. So I don't think he was deliberately looking for this dude's missing remains, but he was just kind of checking out Google Earth, which sometimes I do, like, in my local neighborhood. I'll go check it yeah. out to see, like, what's going on, what it looks like, because it's it's interesting. And he saw... Yeah oh shit look there's like a car in this lake and then he contacted a current homeowner who used a drone near the lake to confirm that it was a white car on the edge of the pond behind this dude's house the guy called the sheriff's office on august 28th and deputies came to find the car's exterior heavily calcified they then got the crews to come pull the car out and found the skeletal remains inside the National Missing and Unidentified Person System says this guy went to a nightclub in November of 1997 but never appeared at home. And he didn't appear intoxicated to the people who last saw him when he left alone before midnight. He had actually called his girlfriend from the club saying he would return home pretty soon. The subdivision that this guy was found in was under construction when this guy went missing, but the pond was already mm. there. And... Nobody that lived near this said they ever noticed anything from the shoreline. And that's crazy because when you look at the Google image, it looks like the car is pretty close to the surface. Right? But it's insane. It's, so it's wild that you wouldn't see it. But, I, I mean, that is also taken from a satellite. So right. maybe the water's just really clear and you couldn't tell, like, from the edge or something. But, yeah, that's... I would think the water would be exceptionally murky in that area. From what I've seen in Florida, like, it's really gross. And if that car was calcified just from being in there for so long, like, I can see that, you know, and then you have ebbs and flows and the water flow and rain and and things of Mm -hmm. that nature. So I can see that it, you know, maybe people just couldn't see it from the shoreline. And if there was, like, a a lot of vegetation around it, then maybe that was Mm -hmm. also a factor that came into play there. Yeah. And... I mean, obviously, like, it doesn't seem as if it's suspicious or anything, but it is good that they now identified him and they can, the family has that, you know what I mean? Yeah, as the closure. Um, yeah, for sure. 
but it's kind of scary to think of a dead body being like in your backyard and like this innocuous lake that you never thought was suspicious until that point. Have I talked on, on the show about my fear of lakes? I hate water where I can't see the bottom, period. I, and I especially I, don't like lakes. They creep me I'm out. I'm terrified of lakes for this reason. And because there's a lot of lakes in Alabama and like there's one, you know, within an hour's drive or whatever from Auburn that's like a pretty big, it's a really big lake. And there's people, you know, you have friends that have lake houses and whatever, and we would always go for Labor Day or Memorial Day or Fourth of July. Like, you know, anytime you want to go spend time in the lake, and I would never, ever swim in the lake because of this very reason. And what happens on a lake during a holiday is people are drinking, they're like jumping off of like the big, you know, the rock cliffs and like stuff like that off rope swings. And people drown and they don't recover all of the bodies and so i have this super weird super weird fear of like a disarticulated hand i don't think it's like a zombie that's like coming up like jason but i have a fear of like a disarticulated limb rising to the surface and like hitting me as i'm like trotting water in the lake so i'm like fuck that no i'm not getting in i don't i don't do lakes i would much rather be in like the ocean because there i'm like an animal is going to eat whatever it is and it's not gonna hit me no it's fucking weirder it's florida so it's like you've got that nasty alligators everywhere yeah no thanks done and the other thing that creeps me out about this case is the thought of the guy in the car and like having to see that and it reminded me of a story that my boyfriend told me about being in spain and he was driving in traffic and this gentleman in a smaller car got hit from behind from a large sort of a semi truck kind of a vehicle and the immediate the vehicle immediately burst into flames and burned the guy alive He could not get out of the car. His hands were still gripping the steering wheel. And as they were driving by, they see this guy on fire inside of this car with the hands gripping the steering wheel. Oh, my God. You can't unsee that. No. it's. I'm like, I was horrified as he was telling me the story. Like, that's just terrifying. And that's yeah. what I imagine this guy was, like, gripping the steering wheel in this car. I mean, maybe he tried to get out of the car. Maybe he died on impact. It's just you have no way of knowing. Right. Not after the body's right. been in the water that long. Yeah. And there's no way to test any kind of toxicology um, with that, too. Like, the water would have, yeah, the water would have, you know, swept away all of the evidence and probably very little you can get from the skeletal remains. Super, super scary. Yeah. But speaking of kind of random deaths and random crimes, the case that we're going to talk about today has a cause of death that I had never heard of before. We're going to actually talk about the case of Blake Libel. And he was a the son of a wealthy Toronto real estate developer who had moved to Hollywood in his early 20s to pursue a career in film, entertainment, and graphic novels. Have you ever heard of this guy? I haven't. This is another one like the one we did, what is it, last week? Or one of our recent recordings when you were telling me a story that, that I have not not heard of uh, Peter Chadwick. Oh, I think the, yeah, the episode that's going to come out this week. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I again, you're you're pulling some ones out of the woodwork that I haven't heard of, and I'm excited. Yeah. So Blake Libel was born May eighth, nineteen eighty one. He was born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, to two very affluent families combined. His father hmm. was real estate and motorsports, and he sailed for Canada in the 1976 Summer Olympics. His grandfather also sailed in the Olympics. His mother was a plastics heiress. Shit. His father had a ton of money, and the mother's family had multiple patents. 
And he has an aunt who was a journalist who hosted Olympic coverage in 96, 2002, 2004, 2006. So he came from a very, very wealthy family. And it sounds like prominent, like well-known. Right. Absolutely. Um, Grew up in a very, very wealthy neighborhood. His parents ended up getting divorced when he was relatively young. He has one sibling. He has a brother named Cody who actually came to prominence himself, but he was a g- amateur gambler who played in Molly's game. What's which Molly's actually game? Was a, it's a high stakes poker game where a lot of celebrities and oh. wealthy people, there's actually a movie that came out about it. And Blake actually became very concerned about his brother's gambling debt and kind of believed was very irrationally paranoid that his brother was putting him and his family into danger with the Russian mafia. Okay. So he was paranoid about that. Is there like a link Um, between this Molly's game and the Russian mafia? Or is he just like kind of paranoid? The Russian mafia was supposedly involved in the Molly's game. There were a lot of celebrities and affluent wealthy people who would get involved in this high stakes poker game. And the Russian mafia supposedly at one point, Cody was indebted up to a million dollars to mafia. Um, And that sort of an issue, but we'll kind of get to that in just a second. Okay. So (laughs) Blake himself was kind of a piece of work. He actually inherited a good portion of his mother's $12 million estate when she died. Mm. Um, just a little background jumping back for one moment when his parents got divorced when he was relatively young his brother went to go live with his dad and Blake went to go live with his mom oh that's interesting so his father pretty much didn't really have a connection with him didn't really talk with him and and it was there was a very distinct separation between the two boys Hmm. so Blake actually grew up with daddy issues because he felt like you know my dad is neglecting me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to have a relationship with me. Maybe it's something I did. He felt sort of an inferiority complex because Cody was very successful in life. Uh-huh. Um, what Blake did with his money that he inherited upon his mother's death is he went to Hollywood to write and direct. So it's my understanding that most people in Hollywood kind of thought he was this goofy kind of dorky trust fund kid. who was paying money to be part of that scene. Mm-hmm. Some said he was actually very, very hardworking. He worked on a lot of low-budget stuff. He worked on kind of a Spaceballs rec- recreation animated series after Mel Brooks's movie. And briefly, well, actually his, his topic of most... He was spending the most time on a graphic novel. Okay. And this graphic novel was called Syndrome. And he was hoping to turn this graphic novel into a television show. At that point, around 2006, he ended up meeting this woman named Amanda Braun. They married shortly after. She was a model, and they had a son together. And she was pregnant with another child in 2015 and was about to give birth when Blake decided, you know what, I don't really want to be with you anymore. I'm going to go with somebody else. So he left her. And wow. started the proceedings for divorce as this woman was about to give birth with her second child. He met Yana Kazian. And this is 2015. He starts dating Yana and moves her into a condo, bought her a Mercedes. And she is actually a pretty, she comes from a relatively affluent family herself. And she was actually a prosecutor in oh, Ukraine shit. before she left. 
but she was always very, very interested in the United States and wanted to raise her family there and just be a part of United States culture. She loved the U.S. and just wanted to be part of that, I guess. So Blake, she meets Blake, and Blake is like this supposed Prince Charming. He moves her into this expensive condo, buys her everything she wants, tells her, you know, baby, we're going to be together forever. And they have a little girl together as he's still going through the divorce with his ex-wife. So he now has three children. Yes, correct. So they have a little girl named Diana. And instead of raising this little girl together and appreciating his family, he flies her mom, Olga, in from Ukraine and sets her up in another condo. So he owns his former home. He owns the home that he and Yana are living in. And then he bought or rented, presumably, Mm -hmm. another condo for the mom to live in and raise the baby. He convinced her that the the baby needs to go with the mom, doesn't need to be with us. We need to focus on our relationship. What? Yeah. Freaking crazy. Who thinks like that? I don't know. But it's not just that. He has another woman on the side in another condo that he owns. Her name is Constance Bukafuri. And he is having an affair with her as well. Then, supposedly there is an incident between Blake and Constance where Constance accuses Blake of sexual assault and this is one week before the murder of Yana. There is a he gets arrested for assault of Constance. Blake is arrested and put in jail, and Yana has to come bail him out. So mm. he has to tell her, "I'm having an affair with this other woman." And pretty much at that point, Yana's dreams are like, right, bye bye. And I think she was getting a little bit disillusioned anyway because her daughter is sent off to live with her mother. Blake is a total sex fiend, demanding sex all the time. And Yana had had like a very complicated and difficult birth. She had had a C-section and he's demanding that she be sexually active with him almost immediately after the birth of her child. Oh my God. So it is very, very hard for her. He is very demanding, very possessive, borderline physical abusive. I don't know if he had been before that. There really are, were no reports of any kind that he had done anything to her physically before, but it seems like he was a very manipulative and controlling person. Yeah. And a narcissist. Yeah. And I think that Yana basically thought, Hey, I need to save my relationship. I came all the way across the world for this. I need to figure this out. Mm. And so she was basically doing what he asked her to do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, she's realizing this guy is kind of a douchebag. Like, I gave up my life as a, a successful prosecutor in the Ukraine to come here for this shit. So she came from the Ukraine to the United States for this guy. I think she came to the U.S. to settle down here and raise her family here because it was her dream. And then okay. she met him and, and she was like, this is, this is my Prince Charming. Like, this is the perfect life. This is what I've always wanted. And now it's finally coming true, but then it ends up being this awful, terrible nightmare that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Right. Okay. And then he's getting super paranoid because his brother is in this amateur gambling thing, and he's complaining constantly that his brother's putting everyone's life in danger because of the Russian mafia. And And her being from the Ukraine probably doesn't help his paranoia. Right. So he's just, like, taking it all out on her, and she's, like, the things are getting very bad. Yeah. Fast forward to May 23rd, 2016. Yana goes shopping with her mom. 
she's like i need to spend a little time with my mom reconnect with my baby let's just like have a little quality time where we can kick back chill and relax mm-hmm. but in the middle of this shopping trip with her mom blake starts texting her and telling her i need you blah 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 the mom olga did not see the text Yana told her they were from Blake. So she kind of okay. suspected something was up. And from the expression, Yana was looking very uncomfortable and very upset. And she eventually just was like, I can't enjoy myself. I've got to go. I've got to go Ugh. home and I've got to fix, I got to fix this between me and Blake. So she leaves and Olga goes back to the baby and is just like, I don't know what to do. It's, I can see that this is tearing my daughter apart. I'm not happy here. She's not happy here. She's got to leave him. And she's trying to convince her daughter to leave. Like, mm-hmm. you, you're not married to this guy. You're intelligent. You're driven. She was, a, she was also, like, very, very attractive. Had a lot of options. She was mm-hmm. intelligent and very attractive. She had the ability to do other things and make her own money. Mm-hmm. So then, May 24th, 2016, she tries to call her daughter to check on her because she's like, I'm worried. Just the way she left the previous day did not leave me with a good feeling. I just need to make sure she's okay. Mm -hmm. She calls six times. And each time she tries calling her daughter, it goes straight to voicemail. Oh, no. Just never a good sign, especially if it's somebody that you talk to on a regular basis every day. And all of a sudden they disappear and the phone doesn't even ring and go straight to voicemail. That's a red, red flag. Huge red flag. So as her mother's intuition is kicking in, Olga calls the police on May 24th. The police, in the meantime, cannot communicate with Olga because she speaks Russian. Oh, wow. Or Ukraine. Okay. I'm not sure whether it's Ukrainian or Russian, but I think it's Russian. Yeah. And the police are, like, trying to find a translator to speak to her so that they can figure out what she's calling for. Because she had called 911, basically. After a number of different attempts, they finally found a Russian translator for her. And she was like, I need you guys to check on my daughter. Please, something isn't right. And she's, like, begging them. And they're just like, hey, you know, we can't do anything because, number one, just because she doesn't answer her phone doesn't mean she's missing. And there's really no signs of anything going on. We can't really do anything. You're her mom. You don't live with her. You don't know that she's missing. There's just not enough here for us to really, like, get in depth on this. Right. May 25th, 2016. Olga is like, I'm done with this. I'm not going to wait for the police. This is a Wednesday, by the way. Olga goes to Yana's apartment. She's frantic by that point because she hasn't seen her daughter in two days. She tries to get into the condominium, but it's kind of a gated community, and she's unable to get to where the door is. So she sits there and waits until she figures out that she can get across the street and up into the neighbor's patio and look straight across to her daughter's condo. And she does oh not, gosh, wow. she doesn't see her daughter, but she sees a man standing in the window who presumably was Blake. Okay. So she's calling and calling and calling and still nothing. She f- but she knows somebody's there because she because can she see Because she sees Blake moving in the window. She's yeah. just like, something's wrong here. This is just, it's creeping me out. She finally gets someone to let her in to the gate. And she pounds on the door. And there's absolutely no answer. She calls the police again and is like, hey, I'm at my daughter's condo. Something ain't right. I'm pounding mm-hmm. on the door. No one's answering. I saw this dude in the window, so I know someone's in there. Mm-hmm. The police show up and they try calling Blake. So she gives him Blake's number and then they try calling Yana and there's no answer on either one. 
you can actually hear the police. They have the recorded messages with the police calling Blake and like saying, Hey dude, mm-hmm. like we need to speak to you right away. Like call us back immediately. Yeah. But the police at that point again say they can't enter because they couldn't hear anyone inside. There's no screaming. There's no indication of foul play. It's just uh, no one's answering your phone. Maybe they're having a sex session. Maybe they went out of town at the last minute. Yeah. There's just nothing that really leads them to believe they need to be breaking into that apartment at that point. Yeah. They don't have probable cause. Correct. So they leave a bunch of messages with Blake telling him, hey, dude, this this is shady. Call us back so that we can like mark you off the list and, and, and everything's cool. Right, just cover the bases. Police waited outside, but left after a few hours because they were like, hey, we got nothing. No one left, no one came, nothing happened. And they had to go leave and, like, go deal with other issues. And the mom at that Mm -hmm. point is like, hey, I got to leave too because I've got the baby that I have to care for, Mm -hmm. so I need to go back to where the baby is. Thursday, May 26th, 2016, Olga's like, fuck this. I'm going back, and I'm going to get somebody to get into that apartment ASAP. Whatever it takes, Mm -hmm. I'm getting somebody to get in there. She calls the police, gets a translator, and begs them to come back to her daughter's apartment. Now, granted, the first indication that something was wrong was Monday, May 23rd, 2016. She's out shopping with the daughter. She gets all the whacked out texts. Her daughter leaves frantic, uncomfortable, and upset. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, May 24th, she's calling her daughter again and again and again. No answer. May 25th, she goes to the apartment, pounds on the door. No answer. Thursday, May 26th, she goes, pounds on the door. The police finally decide that something could be going on and that Yana might be in medical distress because she had a recent birth. So Olga, Mm. the mom, explains, hey, my daughter had a C-section. Something could be wrong. Okay. That's a pretty good technique to use. Right. Yeah. So she's, like, using everything in her arsenal to try to get the police to break into this apartment because her mother's intuition is basically, like, kicked into high gear. And she's like, something ain't right. Yeah. In the meantime, the police are like, hey, you got to go outside. Like, you cannot come into this apartment because if something, if there's a crime yeah. scene in here, we can't have you tromping through the crime scene. So they make her go wait outside and they enter the apartment or they try to enter the apartment. They manage to get a key and they open the door, but there's one of those hotel style locks on the inside, locking the door. You know, those kind of bar yeah. things with the metal thing that prevents somebody from coming in from outside. Yeah. And they're like, oh, That's pretty shit. unusual to have, like, at a condo, right? Right? I've never seen it. Yeah. At that point, the police are like, oh, shit. We got to break down this door. So they break the door down and enter the condo. And notice that the living room is all disheveled. There's Uh-oh. obstacles everywhere. And the hallway door that leads into the bedroom is locked and barricaded. Uh-oh. So... There's, like, a living room, and then there's, like, this hallway that leads into two bedrooms, and that door that leads into those two bedrooms, the hallway to the two bedrooms to enter those is blocked and barricaded. At that stage, they say, hey, we, we got to do what we got to do. They take the door mm-hmm. off the hinges. Luckily, they, the, the hinges were on the side that they were on, and they enter the guest bedroom where they can see that there has been a struggle. Uh-oh. There is blood, but not a lot of blood. Okay. They can tell that something bad has happened here. It's not like excruciatingly blood everywhere, signs that someone is dead or anything like that, but there is definitely blood there. And mm-hmm. they, they call out for Blake and they're like, hey, dude, you got to come out. We got to figure this out. They know he's in there because they'd seen him in the window. Oh, they did see him. Yeah. They move to the master bedroom 
that door is blocked with a mattress. What the fuck? So the guest bedroom has got blood. It looks a little shady, but they're not sure. And the master bedroom door is blocked with a mattress. So they're definitely at that point. They know something's up. Yeah. Blake calls out and says he isn't coming out and that Yana is not home. Bye. Uh, Yeah, she's not here. So uh, see ya. Thanks for stopping by. (laughs) Blake then calls a friend who rushes over because he's, you know, convinced that Blake has lost his shit and is like, Uh I have to talk. I have to talk him down off this ledge. He convinces Blake to come out of the bedroom. And Blake comes out in his boxers. Only boxers. Okay. Okay. They check him out and immediately notice he's covered in scratches and bruises and traces of blood. The master bedroom has a large blood stain on the wall and someone has tried to clean up. Oh my gosh. So in addition to the bedroom where they have traces of blood on the headboard and walls, the master bedroom has lots of blood. But they can't find Yana. No. They can't find Yana yet. Okay. And they, they don't know where the items were that were used to clean up. They're looking around because it's obvious that someone has cleaned up the blood mm-hmm. because there's, there's signs that there was blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they did the luminol test and there's just fucking the apartment lit up. It was oh, blood gosh. everywhere. And okay. they're like, okay, well, where did he clean it up with? Where's the stuff? And all the beds are like missing the bed skirts, the sheets. Like, where is all this stuff? Yeah. Then the police find Yana. Oh, no. She's on the side of the bed. She's covered up to her chin with a Mickey Mouse blanket. In the bedroom, they find her? In the master bedroom. She looks super peaceful, and she's pale as fuck. Okay? Okay. So they're like, why is this girl so pale? Oh, no. Then they raise her head from the pillow, and they notice she has been scalped. What? Her hair is basically gone. Her scalp is missing. It's stripped down to the surface of the bone. And the only thing left is a little bit of skin in the back of her neck. What? The right side of her face is completely torn away. And the right ear is gone down to the jawline. It's completely missing. There are bruises and abrasions all over her body. And she has bite marks as well. What the The fuck? People that examined the scene said that the amount of just carnage they saw was so rare that they rarely see it outside of wartime. They also determined that she lived eight hours after the scalp was (sighs) taken off of her head. So she had been tortured. Blake, in the meantime, has got scratches, bruises, and bite marks on his body as well. Nearby, they find his pants which have a passport of the pocket and about $4,000 worth of cash. So it looks like he was about to be like, later. Yeah. So the police think that he was planning on disposing of the body and taking off to Canada because he was a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. At that point, they arrest Blake. They're like, there's no doubt in our mind that this dude is our number one prime suspect. Yeah. He's actually smiling in his arrest photo. Oh, my God. He's That's super creepy, creepy as fuck. He denies any involvement in the murder, 
But he gives absolutely no explanation as to why Yana is the way she is and what happened and won't tell the police anything. And why he's clearly been there in the apartment with her for a period of time. Yeah, for like three days. The police then search the apartment extensively and they start looking at everything. And again, they light it up with the luminol and notice blood everywhere. And no like real blood on the scene though you know what i mean okay. with the amount uh-huh. of damage and carnage done to this woman there should have been blood everywhere but it's just the traces of blood that are showing up in the luminol yeah okay then the police look over and notice that there is a trash chute right outside the apartment oh no and they're like oh shit so they go down to the trash and find bags of everything the cleaning supplies, the sheets. And they also notice there is a bed skirt that has a handprint on it with part of a pinky finger missing. Blake also has a missing part of his right pinky, so it perfectly matches up to his right hand. So somehow in this attack, he cut off his own pinky finger? No, he was already missing it. But he killed her and got blood on his hand and left a handprint on the bed skirt that matched his hand. So the police are just lining this up just like, bam, home run right here. The autopsy reveals that Yana died a very, very brutal death. And it was drawn out and that this abuse and torture happened in multiple locations. The cause of death was exsanguination. Have you ever heard that term? Yeah, it's when you bleed out. So she died from that and from blunt force trauma to the head. Police believe it took about six to eight hours for her to die. So he was just mm-hmm. like, I think he hung her upside down um, to help that process. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think that if she were alive with the injuries and he, if he were to put her in a position where gravity would draw the blood out of her to exsanguinate, I think it would be faster than six to eight hours. I don't know. So she may have been laying like in the bathtub right. or something. Probably on the floor. Like with the amount because, of blood that the luminol yeah, was showing. Because if you were to lay somebody, this is, I don't, I don't mean to sound graphic or like macabre, but if you were to have somebody long ways, so vertically and dra- drain the blood vertically, it would happen very fast because their heart's still beating. Right. So so their heart would be pumping that blood out. So I think that it would probably be it, I don't I don't know how long it would take for that to happen, so the but the wounds I'm, in her head and scalp would have created enough space for that blood to flow yeah. out from there. Yeah. So it wouldn't necessarily and the back of her neck. it wouldn't necessarily take the the severing of a major artery. No. Or do you think he maybe severed an artery when he was taking the skin off of her well, scalp and you, neck? You you wouldn't bleed. It would take a very, very long time to bleed out from a vein. Unless it were a bigger vein, like the jugular. But an artery would be really fast. So, I don't know. I don't know. But I just, I, I'm kind of speaking out of turn here, just kind of going on what I know from anatomy. And I don't know, like, flow rates or anything like that. But I think six to eight hours would probably be a vein... From like a supine, like a larger vein from like a supine or a prone position, not somebody who was hanging vertically. Hanging. 
but but I don't know. I could be I could be wrong. I'll get into why I think that was the case later because mm-hmm. there's some more details here. Okay. But basically, in a nutshell, everything on this scene points to Blake being the killer. There are no other suspects. Yeah. The police are just like, "Hey, this is our man." Yeah. So they are looking at Blake and they're trying to figure out why the fuck would he do something like this? So there's n- only sorry, no alcohol in his system or other drugs. Only a small amount of marijuana. You may be getting into this later, but do they think that that she died that first day when she went home after the text messages? They're not sure. Okay. Now there's speculation from multiple parties. The mom firmly believes that the police had gone into the apartment when she had called them the first time that her daughter would still be alive today. Yeah. It seems like she was probably dead or dying by the time they actually did knock on the door, though, because they couldn't enter because they didn't hear anything. Right. So it wouldn't have been they wouldn't have heard a struggle at that point. So maybe that first day when she called and couldn't get in the gate. Personally, I think if they would have broken into it at the first time around, she would still be alive or she they would have gotten her when she was alive. Who knows if she would have passed away after that just because of all the the, the shit that she suffered through. It could have just been life threatening either way. Right. I, yeah, I could believe that. They interviewed Blake, and really the only thing that he talked about was that women women didn't like him and wouldn't be with him if it wasn't for the money. So he has some sort of a complex. Okay, well, try not being a fucking asshole. He's only interested in controlling women with money. And police believe that Yana had basically told him, I'm not going to let you do whatever the fuck you want. And she said no to him, and he killed her. And she's a badass prosecutor. She's got options. She doesn't need him. So basically she stood up to him and he fucking killed her. They'll never know, though, because he never said a word. Do you know anything about his dad? Is that how his dad treated women? Here's the deal, though. He his parents got divorced when he was relatively young and he went to live with his mom. So he really doesn't know a lot about his dad. Oh, right. Okay. When the police and interviewers and reporters tried to go talk to family, friends, people from his past up in Canada, they wouldn't say a word. Yeah. They didn't want to have any involvement in it. Nobody wanted to be involved. His dad never even showed up to the trial. His brother did, but wouldn't speak to anybody. So no one is saying a word. They're just like, and you know, the thing is with affluent, wealthy families, Uh if something like that happens, they want nothing to do with it. Well, it immediately turns down to like a PR thing. Yeah. It tarnishes their image and they want nothing to do with it. So it's not surprising. They have to control the narrative. Yeah. Absolutely nothing surprising. And when they did the background investigations, nothing unusual showed up. And everyone that knew him seemed like they were extremely shocked that he had tortured this woman to death. Additionally, he was interviewed multiple times by forensic psychologists, and they say that he was not insane. He knew right from wrong, which is basically the standard. You're fit to stand trial if you know the difference between right and wrong. That is the legal standard. We should do an episode on insanity. Right? But that's basically the legal standard in a nutshell on proving mm-hmm. that someone is insane, whether they knew right from wrong. It's simple, simplified kind of a version of that. And Blake clearly knew mm-hmm. right from wrong and basically just showed himself as being this spoiled rich kid who had no relationship with his father and needed this control over women to feel powerful and sane and happy. Hmm. In the meantime, police and investigators believe that he had this extremely violent underlying fantasy life. That was sort of played out in his graphic novel, Syndrome, which is about a vicious killer. Hmm. On the cover of this is a doll with its scalp missing, and two women are hanging to drain their blood. Oh, that's why you think that. 
So prosecutors basically believe that he had patterned this after the novel. It was sort of the blueprint for his killing. This is an episode of Criminal Minds. But I'm almost certain... It sounds like it, right? I'm almost certain that episode was prior to this case. Actually, I'm 100% certain. Yeah. 2016. I'm 100% certain that this episode... That episode... It it actually starred Frankie Muniz was um, the graphic artist. Anyways, carry on. Super creepy. And the police also determined that this was very calculated on his part because during the time that he was torturing Yana over the course of multiple hours that they speculated he was torturing her Mm -hmm. over, he had food delivered multiple times. So he had more than enough time to stop all this shit, Mm -hmm. to change his mind. He wouldn't. So he was just like noshing down, doing a little torture, eat a little more, go back, a little bit more damage. Just taking out all of his violent frustration and fantasy on this woman, like in this super rage. And clearly she was incapacitated for a long period of time before she actually did pass away. She she fought back, but he wouldn't be able to take breaks like that. Like he would, she would try and escape or something. So she clearly had to have been incapacitated. Yeah, either he tied her up or she was just, by that point, delirious with pain and blood loss. So the case actually goes to trial. There is six days of testimony, and the prosecution calls 14 witnesses. The defense calls none. None? None. The defense claims that Blake did not pattern any of this, that it was a spontaneous thing, that he was freaked out and just lost his shit one day. They argued that he had hired writers and didn't actually write his book. He only approved it after it was already written by his ghost writers. But the jury doesn't give a fuck. After three right. hours, they, they reach a guilty verdict after a first-degree murder. That's kind of a weird defense strategy because, like, I know that the, the prosecutors are saying that he modeled this murder after his graphic novel. Mm-hmm. But the prosecution the state is not required to provide a motive so they're just using this as an example and there would be no to me it doesn't seem like there would be any reason for the defense to even respond to that so them saying that he he ghost wrote it and he only approved it later like that doesn't mean he didn't commit this murder no like like I mean, it's just, just like, crazy there's just way too much evidence that's like pointing directly to him as yeah. the only killer and that he did this and the only thing that they want to know is why so they're giving the jury reasons why right. he possibly did this. There's no no question that this guy's going to be convicted. He's right. completely unemotional during the entire thing. Crazy. The mother is basically haunted until this day because she believes that her daughter would still be alive if the police had responded in a timely manner and broken into the apartment on that day. Yeah. Just keeping in mind that the autopsy report did not come out until September 20th, 2017. Okay. And the autopsy says the cause of death was exsanguination and head trauma. Mm-hmm. So drain the body completely drained of all the blood and head trauma. So he had done either beaten her severely or just gotten crazy and ripped her skin off. Whatever the case may be, just awful, awful, awful. Does it say what blood vessels were ruptured or where no. they were? It doesn't say if they were in the head, have- neck. Because scalping, you wouldn't bleed out from scalping. But she had a big portion of her jaw and face and ear missing on the side as well. Right. No, so that's what, yeah, so that's what made me, makes me think maybe it was like the jugular vein. But, sorry, I'm just thinking about this again. A vein. That is so gruesome. Unless it were a larger vein like the jugular, a vein would, 
it would it would start to heal itself over some period of time. So maybe it was either a larger vein or an artery. The, the, so the, the the blood would clot? Yeah. And close it off? Yeah. Yeah. I think he just kept coming back and just doing bad no, shit to her. Yeah, no, so that could have happened. Just it, reopening. never let it close. Yeah. June 2018, Blake is convicted of first-degree murder with supplemental charges of mayhem and torture. Mayhem? Mayhem and torture. Wow. He is sentenced to life without parole. He is currently serving his sentence at the California Correctional Institution. Their daughter, Diana, is now three. Oh, my gosh. No one from Blake's family has reached out to help with Diana or provide any sort of financial yeah. assistance to her. Diana has had to go back to the Ukraine with Olga, and uh, that is where Yana is buried as well. Oh, wow. Interestingly enough, as a side note, there is a wrongful death lawsuit that went into the courts after that against the Libel family. Mm-hmm. And was settled in February 2019 for $41.6 million. Whoa. So she won the civil suit against Blake and his estate, but no money has been received as of yet from the libel estate. Wow. So, interesting case. I was particularly fascinated by it because I got a lot of information from um, 48 Hours had a special that they did about him. And I just thought it was interesting because I'd never heard of exsanguination as a cause of death. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty rare one because, I, I mean, I want to know. Is, does I it, don't know have more. to be multiple causes with that. It's it, it, No. I can't see somebody dying. Sorry, that was my champagne. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see somebody dying from exsanguination alone. No, it it wouldn't have to be multiple causes. It would. That's why I'm curious about which blood vessels were ruptured. Because with the artery, you have the pressure from the heart rate. That's where you get your blood pressure. And you would have the pressure from the, the heartbeat continually pulsing, pushing blood through the vessel. And so that's why the arteries wouldn't ever heal unless you had, like, some kind of surgical intervention a vein would start to heal because it has significantly less pressure right. unless it were a larger vein and it would need to be closed off similarly. But that's what, that's why I'm curious about if it said anything, but it's gotta be something in the neck. That's, that's what I'm thinking. It's gotta be something in the neck. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you'd, you'd probably need to look at the autopsy yeah. report, which was not available, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> get your hands on that autopsy report in order to really get some conclusive answers on that. Yeah. But Interesting case. Very, very tragic. Very, very sad. Do you think he's crazy? No. Why do you think he did it? I don't know. Um, It does sound like he may have some kind of, like, paranoid schizophrenia. But just with the whole thing of the gambling and the Russian mafia. But that's not the same as a a legal insanity defense, which is... If you, if you don't know, insanity is not a medical diagnosis. It's a legal term. Right. And so, no, I don't think he was legally insane. He may have some kind of personality disorder in the, term, in the, in the sense of um, paranoid schizophrenia. But, no, I don't think he's crazy. I don't, I don't know why he did it, though. I do. I mean, you, t- in order to kill somebody in that way, brutally torture them over the course of an entire day... You have to be crazy. Who the fuck would do that unless you were crazy? Right? Uh, 
I think like he freaking ripped her scalp off. I, like I think the scary I think the scary thing is that that is somebody who's not crazy but is very sadistic. Just creepy. Super creepy. It's not normal. I mean it's certainly abnormal, but do I think it's like a crazy legal insanity defense? No. I don't think it mitigates his responsibility in any way, shape, or form, but I think there is some insanity in there. You have to be crazy to do stuff like that and not feel bad about it and to be smiling and showing no remorse ever. I mean, I like I see where you're coming from, but I, again, I just think the crazier thing, I think, I think the it's scarier thing is that, yeah, he's probably a psychopath, and that's why he is able to do this without any kind of emotional response to it. But that doesn't make him crazy. It makes him a psychopath. And to me, it's also just an extremely sad case because this Russian mother who could not speak English was basically slipped, pushed through the cracks because she couldn't get a translator. And they refused to believe her when she told them her daughter was in physical danger. Yeah. Had they listened to her, they would have potentially saved this woman's life. Do you think there's anything more she could have done? She called the police. She had the police come to the house. Like, I don't think there's anything else the mother could have done besides breaking into the house herself, which I can't say that I wouldn't have tried to do. I would have tried to break into the fucking house. I think I would have, too. Now, that's not... I mean, obviously, there's no blame on her, obviously. No. She was, she was doing everything she could. And she could have been afraid, like, that if she had done something like that, that she maybe perhaps would have been prosecuted because things are run very differently in Russia and Ukraine sure. as far as that kind of stuff is concerned. So she could have been um, afraid of the consequences. She would have been in danger. Right. She could have been too. afraid of Blake as well because it sounds like he was a scary dude and that her daughter was definitely afraid of this guy. And she's the sole responsibility the, of this child. So, you know... She could have been feeling some kind of obligation to not put herself in danger yeah. because the child would have, would have nobody then. Right, because clearly his family hasn't stepped up to take any responsibility right. for this child that is a part of their family, which is yeah. very sad as well. Yeah. I'm not saying they have to necessarily go give her a bunch of money, but they should at least acknowledge her and be like, hey, you know, we're sorry this happened, you know. Sure, yeah. We'll we want to know you. This is our grandchild and our niece and things like that. So it's just sad that they don't even want to know her. It sounds like the dad was kind of like, I didn't know my son. We never had a relationship after the divorce. Therefore I feel no obligation or responsibility toward his children. Right. Which is just fucked up. He he's basically the reason that probably Blake went a little cuckoo. If he had shown his son some attention, then maybe all of this would have never happened. Yeah, it's possible. It's just uh, it's, it's hard to speculate on those kinds of yeah. things, but we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up at this point. Darcy, social media? We are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and the Instagram, so go follow and like our shit and write to us. <laughs> Yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe. Questions, comments, or suggestions, you can send us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us we're doing a shitty job. You can tell us we're doing a good job. We're going to respond the same to all of them. Please email us. And join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. 
Bye. Bye, guys.